What's good? Welcome back to the God's Vibes podcast. Hey, listen, if you have been hanging out here for any amount of time and one of these episodes has totally blessed your soul, do me a favor on Apple Podcasts, rate it five stars and leave a review. Literally, right now. (laughs) Take one minute to just do that. Pause, rate it five stars, leave a review. It's one of the ways that I know you're here, that this podcast is making an impact in your life. It's another way too to get this podcast out into more lives as well. So I would appreciate it so much if you would do that. When you do too, I also send you a free gift. I'll send you a copy of the God's Vibes Matter devotional. This is a 30-day devotional to help you increase intimacy with God, and you can claim it over on julianapage.com under the podcast page. So take 60 seconds to do that now. If you are new here, welcome. You might not know, new and and part of the tribe, all you folks are welcome to plug into Courage Co. Courage Co. is a app off social media where we invest in our spiritual growth to really help you live your most courageous and impactful story. It is so important that you have a space where you can grow, where you can invest in yourself. And much of what we offer is free. We have prayer calls, we have challenges, we have masterclasses, and we're launching small groups next week actually. So make sure that you get plugged in. It is www.courageco.com. Org, and I'm really looking forward to connecting with you over there. Now, today's message is interesting. I had a lot of people, I had Leslie Kane on here recently, and we talked about narcissism, and she'd really experienced it in the workplace primarily. And I actually am somebody that's overcome narcissistic abuse by God's power for his glory but God is all I can say. It's actually what led me to the Lord. I didn't know at this point that I could have a relationship with God. I knew that I was in a spiritual battle. I just sensed that so strongly, but I was not equipped to fight it, and that terrified me. And I really felt like I was truly being attacked, right? Like when you're in a battle that you don't know how to fight, that's super intimidating, let alone everything else that I was experiencing that was completely heartbreaking, destabilizing, psychologically exhausting, emotionally exhausting, just so, so much. And I was completely misunderstood at the time. Only God could walk me through that. So all that to say, I've had many reach out about this topic. I also know that many folks that are in Courage Co., That's one of the things when I've asked them, what's the most courageous thing that you've done? They say that they've left a narcissistic relationship. They were struggling in a narcissist um, abuse cycle and they were able to finally leave, you know, and this could be they were married to a narcissist, they were dating one for a period of time, but they were able to leave or they hope to get the courage to leave. So I've, I did not know about narcissism at all. It was not something that I ever researched. It was not something that I knew about. It was just not something that ever was on my radar at all. It was actually God that led me to knowledge and gave me a ton of wisdom, but from a biblical perspective. So I was being educated from the mental health world, from psychology, from therapy, but God was really giving me biblical context to this as well. And it was blowing my mind. It just really highlighted to me the need to be diligent in our study of the word, the the need to no longer be naive or not walk and just lean on somebody else's revelation, but to personally be invested in relationship with God and actually pursue wisdom right? It it will protect you, it will lead you, it will guide you. And so what I'm going to offer today is biblical perspective on narcissism. So whether you have found yourself in a relationship with a narcissist, whether you are wanting to leave a relationship, whether you know someone that is talking about being in a relationship like this, a lot of times what can be really crushing to somebody that is in a relationship is when friends and family dismiss it and they don't understand you. And that can be extremely painful in the midst of what you're already walking through. So my aim here 
is not to belabor what is out there in the world because a lot of times narcissistic abuse is talked about and thrown around so easily, okay? And I think that it also is really important to get to a place where you actually heal and it's not about the narcissist, but it's about you and you healing and why, right? You were in that relationship, what that relationship taught you. There's so much more to focus on there than just the narcissist and pointing fingers. But I do want to offer this as empowerment, as perspective to give you a different kind of context about this, especially if you are new to it or you've only heard about it through psychology or science, the mental health space. Okay, so let's dive into this. Now, what I think is really interesting is that the presence of narcissism is actually all throughout scripture, and it's represented in many of the characters of the Bible, and it's described in detail by the Apostle Paul in his writings to his protege, Timothy. So we're going to look at that a little bit later, but I'm going to walk you through some examples of this so that you can see it, you can recognize the tendencies and just have that wisdom and understanding that you may have, which can be reinforced, or if you don't have it, you'll you'll gain it today, okay? So first and foremost, Lucifer is the father of narcissists, okay? Long before the existence of psychology as a science, we find the most notorious of narcissists birthed through a very powerful and popular fallen angel from heaven. He was very talented musically and had extremely good looks. All of these God-given qualities should have made this gifted creature grateful and humble, but instead he got caught up in pride and fantasies of being greater than his creator. He believed that he was greater than God. The Bible records Lucifer's antics in Isaiah 14, 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer had become so self-indulgent that he actually attempted to replace God on the throne. It wasn't enough for him to think these delusional thoughts. He actually organized a plan to overthrow the Almighty. I would say he severely overestimated his importance and power. And when Lucifer had this narcissistic meltdown, God did not take kindly to it. God embarrassed and demoted him. He cast him down from heaven. Okay, so Lucifer is the father of narcissists. Then we have Jezebel. And she really is the equivalent of what somebody would call a covert narcissist who really uses the power of influential people to accomplish her own agenda and damage others. The reality concerning Jezebel is that she seemed to embody covert narcissism, malignant and grandiose, and each to a large extent. She's the epitome of narcissists. That's why we also hear about the Jezebel spirit operating in the world and definitely in certain regions. One would be very hard-pressed to find any of the narcissists in history that would surpass her sadistic nature. She was self-absorbed, homicidal, demanded the worship of her followers, and was as covertly deceptive as a Russian spy. She encompassed all dimensions of narcissism. Then we have Judas. And when I really started studying about narcissism for survival, really, with God, <laughs> I really assumed that Judas would be the narcissist. He was a disciple of Jesus who turned him into the Jewish authorities to be punished and eventually crucified. To me, that's the ultimate hypocrite, right? And if anyone were to be a narcissist, it would seem like him. And it was interesting that I started to realize that he actually could not have been a narcissist because he was so heartbroken when he learned that they were actually going to kill Jesus. 
He was so broken that he committed suicide. A narcissist would not do that. So it made me really think about that and analyze that. But he really is got he he's got some narcissistic tendencies though, right? Because just a, because a person demonstrates remorse does not disqualify them from being a narcissist. Okay? Judas could have been remorseful for several self-serving reasons. It might not even been guilt. It could have actually been some self-serving reasons. So when he realized they were going to kill Jesus, it meant that he would be losing his status as well. And that would be the self-serving piece. He was connected to the most powerful and popular man in Israel, right? Without Jesus, there's no Judas. He was the treasurer of Jesus's ministry. And when Judas realized they were going to kill Jesus, he also knew that the other disciples would eventually kill him. Okay, so I had never really processed that or reflected on that before, but it's really powerful to do so. Judas also had to know that Jesus's massive followers would hate him. So in my opinion, it's not enough to conclude that Judas wasn't a narcissist at all, right? Because typically... A narcissist doesn't have remorse, but as I studied further and really challenged that, he he did demonstrate remorse, and he may very well have been sorry, but he was sorry for the personal consequences of a poorly executed covert scheme, which that part is definitely narcissistic. So we can see signs in Judas from the, the biblical record. It says in Matthew 26, 7, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. So from this text, we can see that Judas, his, his motivation for betrayal was clearly jealousy. He got upset when he realized the cost of the ointment the woman gave to Jesus. And this is definitely a classic sign of narcissism. He felt like this should have been done for him. We also see how Judas created a covert plot to betray Jesus starting from that point. He even cut a deal with Jesus's enemies. And I think there is more evidence proving Judas is a narcissist than that he's not. I mean, you can really decide that for yourself, but from what I've studied, it definitely seems like he is. In another record of the same story found in John 12, verse 4, Judas uses passive-aggressive tactics to make Jesus feel bad for accepting the precious oil. It says, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? I personally think he was a narcissist. A classic maneuver of a narcissist is to twist the things others should feel good about into something shameful and bad. They are the masters of reigning on every parade. Okay? Now, the Apostle Paul has a description of narcissism in church leadership, which I find very fascinating. With all of the many, we just said a few, but with all the many characters in the Bible, there is a greater biblical reference supporting the connection between the disorder and the Bible. The Apostle Paul outlines in detail the characteristics of a generation of leaders for Timothy, a young pastor, to be aware of. This was a self-centered, 
self-absorbed, and self-serving people. His language in this letter sounds like a doctoral student's thesis on narcissistic characteristics. I actually remember reading this. I'm surprised it's not making me emotional now, but I had the opportunity uh, to share my testimony at Celebrate Recovery, of which I was in for this heartbreak and for this abuse that I was experiencing. I was leading a group and I was able to walk out my recovery, my deliverance from this and share this testimony and it was just heartbreaking. I remember praying at one point, God, break my heart for what breaks yours and I had no idea <laughs> that I would be reading this passage and I couldn't even get it out. I literally did not know that it was going to hit me so hard, but I could not get it out because I intimately knew this. I was intimately experiencing this in my life and it was just so awful. So I'm going to read this to you without all the tears and sniffling, but it is so, so powerful. It's found in 2 Timothy 3, 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. It just blows my mind, <laughs> right? This is evil walking the earth for sure. The Apostle Paul is describing a group of people who are unruly, unteachable, and overall toxic to believers and to the community that follows after Christ. He's making the young and inexperienced pastors aware of their presence and their tactics that they might be wise, right? Paul outlines 19 characteristics that directly relate to the profile of any narcissist, okay? I'm going to describe 11. They're lovers of themselves. Now, when you are a recovering people pleaser, when you are a recovering codependent, when you are somebody that prides themselves on being a servant leader and generous and useful <laughs> to, to your fellow man, it does not even cross your mind that there would just be people that are just straight up lovers of themselves, that there are actually people walking this earth that do not have the same heart as you, that is a very hard lesson to learn, okay? But Paul actually starts his list with this. He says, the fact that these people are lovers of themselves really does make them a narcissist. A narcissist is in love with one person, and that person is himself. The very concept is taken from the Greek mythological figure, Narcissus, the man who gazed upon his own image in the water and fell madly in love with himself. Some psychologists suggest to us that at the core of the narcissist dysfunctional perspective is either a childhood where they were deprived of love and attention or one where they were immersed in an overdose of adoration and attention by a doting parent or caregiver. The amounts to the narcissist feeling an obsession with self-adoration to compensate for the lack of it, or they are simply perpetuating the fallacy of being the center of the universe. In either case, they're programmed to love themselves and not another person, which is devastating to anyone in relationship with them. The next trait is their covetous. Paul describes these people as having this intense desire for what belongs to another person. So narcissists are covetous of other people's possessions, their influence, their physical features, their relationships and power. That's usually why you see narcissists going after very strong, smart, 
uh, high-achieving, successful people, okay? It's an obsession with other people and the things they believe should rightfully be theirs. The Bible says in James 4.2, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And it's really reminiscent of Lucifer again and his coveting of the Almighty's throne and power. Okay? A narcissist lives with a lie that they are the greatest. When someone possesses something that they don't have, it contradicts this false identity that they have and it feels like a personal attack or an injury. And there is such a thing as narcissistic injury. A narcissistic injury hurts the structure of the narcissist's false self. It's a identity blow. It's anything that brings them face to face with the reality that they are not what they've imagined. Okay, when someone outshines the narcissist in any way, it creates an injury for them. And from that moment, that person becomes enemy number one, and they strive to supplant that person's greatness. Most of the time, the person does not realize they are even in a competition. So this is really, really interesting. But I, it's wild. But I think over the course of my life without knowing better, I surrounded myself with people who needed me but didn't deserve me. And I really took on a team of various types of narcissists, right? And this would be in the workplace. It would be different people that I had in my circle. And I would feel like I could support, help, guide, coach even, right? And that's just not true. There was nothing that I could do. Those people just should not have had access to me, right? And when I started to pay attention, I realized that with these people, there was this intimidation and also an obsession with everything I did or had. And it was actually scary. This was more than a person that admires another. This was a competition. And I had... I had not realized that I was even in one, and it started to feel very demonic. And today, (laughs) I really know the difference between admiration, honor, inspiration, and just covetousness. And it's really important that you can discern the difference. The third trait is boasters. This is so plainly descriptive of the narcissist. If narcissists are nothing else, they are boastful. Oh my goodness. They are delusional and blind to reality. The narcissist really has this preferred reality as opposed to what it actually is. And they brag about their accomplishments and finances like they're just bursting with success when the actual facts dictate that they are in bankruptcy. They're deluded, right? Narcissists are very elaborate liars, (laughs) very elaborate liars, great storytellers. They can take a small pebble and use it to create a mountain. They can take a minimum wage job and describe it as paying six figures, including a company car. They have a need to make themselves big. And a narcissist has the imagination and propensity to embellish like a first grade student. And they need everyone to know how great they are and how much they have. They just boast and talk about themselves nonstop. It says in James 4.13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The narcissist boasts as if he is a god and in sovereign control of things. The Bible calls this evil. Have you ever wondered why certain people that go on and on about their accomplishments and greatness tend to irritate you? (laughs) 
There's a spirit behind this bragging that is more than someone being excited about their advancement. You can feel it. This is a spirit that desires to self-promote while belittling others, and it is evil. Next, the narcissist is proud. Everyone should have a healthy pride about themselves and their accomplishments. However, the narcissist has a toxic pride that makes them impossible to coexist with. Everyone who has self-pride is not necessarily a narcissist, okay? So when this term is thrown around randomly, it can actually be quite damaging without wisdom, without knowledge, without experience, without context. So keep that in mind. Narcissistic pride is condescending and it's abusive. And this is the kind of self-exaltation that even gets a negative reaction out of God. There are six things that Proverbs declares God hates. The first on the list is a proud look. And it's such a narcissistic pride that it shows even on the countenance of that person. Have you ever looked at a person and could actually see the sickness of their soul plastered on their face like a mask? I know in my own story, it was debilitating. I could look at this person and just see darkness in their eyes, and I'd never experienced that before. It actually made my heart race and it made me feel cold in my body. It was really intimidating. Then there was this like weird, really, really gross, awful feeling smirk, like side smirk type thing that would happen. And then it would just go away and this person could act like none of that was real. It was it was mind boggling, right? And it often would be behind closed doors. <sighs> just crazy. Okay, so the Bible says in Proverbs 6.16, these six things doth the Lord hate. Seven are abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A proud look is the first thing he mentions. The pride of a narcissist is very intense. Every conversation has to be centered around them. And even if you are talking or trying to share anything about you, it gets turned back to them, inevitably. They are entirely concerned about the way they look. They would miss their mother's funeral if they didn't have the right outfit. They would exhibit an arrogant attitude toward Mother Teresa. It's just who they are. The narcissist has a need for everyone else to diminish so they may feel superior. There is no such thing as a compromise. It must always go the way they want it to go. They do not sense anyone else's need but their own. There's really no winning with them. Then their narcissistic pride destroys any healthy relationship. And so this is where it's really damaging too when you're actually in an abusive relationship and people tell you just to renew your mind, for you just to manage yourself and your emotions, for you just to keep trying harder. No. <laughs> in this kind of situation, that does not work. They cannot maintain romances or friendships, let alone marriages. They just cannot do it. And it is abusive and extremely unhealthy, destructive, debilitating, usually to the victim. The Bible says in Daniel 5.18, O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would slew and whom he would have kept alive and whom he would set up and whom he would put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. The reason why Daniel was reminding Belshazzar of his father's history is because he was walking with the same pride and arrogance that got his father deposed by the Almighty God. Narcissists really do produce narcissists. The next trait, they are disobedient to parents. This is an interesting description that Paul uses. He says to Timothy that narcissists will be disobedient to their parents. I find it interesting because most psychologists agree that narcissists are created through poor parental experiences. As a consequence, 
the principles of authority and leadership are not conceivable within the mind of a narcissist. They're often rebellious to all authority. Parental authority is where we learn to respect and adhere to society's various dimensions of authority. Narcissists have no respect at all for any authority. They are blatantly rebellious or they exercise a passive rebellion. This is really also symbolic of the spirit of Lucifer. The wisdom of Proverbs 17.11 says, An evil man seeks only rebellion and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Narcissists do not have the heart to comply or to submit. The result is always a consequence that is brutal and unnecessary. This is usually why they end up in prison and often they are killed. They are rebellious by nature. A lot of characters we see in movies or TV shows are also narcissists and look at their story. Okay? Next trait. They are unthankful. The narcissist is deficient in gratitude. One may slit his wrist and bleed for the narcissist and never get a thank you. They're so empty, they don't even recognize the moments they should be grateful. And it is so painfully sad. There is always something more than narcissist believes you should do for them. You're actually obligated to do it for them from their eyes. Have you ever known a person that you nearly break yourself for and they look at you as if you've done nothing? That feeling is the worst. It's really unreconcilable in your body. The insanity of the entire relationship is that they somehow make you believe that you should do more and that the problem is you and it's your lack of generosity. You cannot do anything to please an ingrate. You just can't do it. The Bible says in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The ungrateful and unthankful person becomes worse, not better. Their hearts become darkened. They lack the capacity to see the benefits before them. A narcissist will not appreciate a great relationship until he destroys it. Period. After it's destroyed, he will long for the benefit it once provided, but never the person. It is never about the person. The next trait, narcissists are truce breakers. A truce breaker, by definition, is one who fails to honor a covenant. A narcissist is incapable of fulfilling any covenant that requires them to consider the other's feelings or needs. Now imagine them as a spouse, as a parent, not good. When a narcissist feels the need to take advantage or violate an agreement, it is as good as done. By nature, they are committed to no one but themselves, even if they are married, even if they have kids. The Bible looks negatively upon people who do not keep their vows. The Bible declares that God is a covenant-keeping God. The word of God says in Numbers 30, verse 1, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. What God is calling for in this verse is the antithesis of a narcissist. A narcissist will usually do the exact opposite of what they vowed to do. So frustrating. <laughs> the narcissist is a liar by nature. There can be no respect for any covenant in the life of a narcissist because there's no truth in them. Right? Can two walk together unless they agree? No, they cannot. Jesus describes Satan in John 8, 44, and he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. I really believe that Satan is the father of narcissists, right? And when God wants to change your life, 
he sends a person. When the enemy wants to change your life and really destroy your life, he sends a person. A narcissist will produce the same fruit of the root they are spawned from. Lucifer was a truce breaker. Narcissists are also false accusers. The Apostle Paul went further in 2 Timothy 3 to describe narcissists as false accusers. This really does just speak for itself. These people will lie about anybody. They will make up a narrative that puts them in a favorable light. It does not matter if the lie destroys a person's career, reputation, or family. They will bring up accusations against anybody. And usually it's about their character, which is not true. It's awful for that person. The Bible continuously stands against bearing false witness against others. It directly instructs us in Exodus 23.1, You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Narcissists, however, thrive, thrive on false reports. It's one of the ways they destroy their victim's credibility in the community. And a lot of times, too, why this is so awful is that at this point, they've usually taken the victim away from friends, from family. They've isolated them. So the narcissist friends, quote unquote, the victim thinks are their friends. And then the narcissist will make up all of these horrible things about the victim. And they're alone. No family, no friends. They've already been pulled away from them. And now they've got all these people against them because of the lies the narcissist tells. Narcissists are also despisers of those who are good. Yay, that's fun. The narcissist has a disdain for people who are actually authentically good. Why don't you think the enemy would love then to send a narcissist to God's child? Come on, right? They despise those who are morally good. They hate those who are good at whatever they do. They despise anything good. When a narcissist sees an authentically good person, it's viewed as a reflection of themselves and their shortcomings. It's wild, isn't it? When a narcissist witnesses another person's good deeds or their character, they simultaneously feel as though the spotlight is instantly on their flaws. It flares them up. It triggers them. They become anxious and offended because there's no context where they are not at the center of any moment. So in their minds, the world can't perceive you without simultaneously seeing them. When a narcissist feels that they don't measure up to another person, they may work to destroy them for no reason other than that they're anxious and uncomfortable. Just crazy. And so the record of this that we see is of King Saul trying to kill David, who had done nothing nothing but serve him. It's found in 1 Samuel 18, 6. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the woman came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with joy and with instruments of music. And the woman answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God, interesting, right? The evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. David was only guilty of fighting Saul's battles and expanding Saul's kingdom. And Saul literally wanted to murder him. All you need to do to invoke the rage of a malignant narcissist is be good. Be a decent human. They'll hate you for it. Narcissists are also lovers of pleasures. They empty self-esteem of the narcissist. They literally have this empty self-esteem bank, if you want to think about it that way. 
it really makes them place a high value on extracurricular activities. They like to portray themselves as having a successful life through activities and possessions. They, they can just pour it on. It can seem very charming, very adventurous, very fun. Anybody might be drawn to that, right? But the narcissist uses pleasure to subsidize the emptiness of their life. Many narcissists love material things. Buying and displaying them makes them happy. We see this all over social media. They define themselves and their success based on their access to luxury and exclusive material trappings. The problem with this happiness is they've really concocted a short-lived continual pursuit of pleasure. Some psychologists refer to this as a hedonic treadmill. This treadmill is based on a person's ambitions to achieve more or to have more to make one happier only to discover that none of it results in a happier state. They are on a treadmill that wears them out but goes nowhere. More money, more food, and more wine, more adventures, more trips, more vacations, and it often only ends in greater misery. There's a parable that Jesus shared with his disciples about a rich man who placed all of his efforts into having more. The man's superficial response to Jesus was just sad. The Bible says in Luke 12, 18, and he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose those things shall be, which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. A narcissist is rich in the things that are irrelevant and impoverished with eternal things. Whew, is deep. They also have a form of godliness. So this is dangerous because a lot of times narcissists are in the church, right? And they exhibit godliness. So you might think that you're equally yoked, but in fact, you're not. The final attribute that I'm just going to share here today is this, this form of godliness. It's contrary to popular opinion that narcissists are heavily involved in religious things. They just are. Religion, what it does, it provides a wonderful backdrop for their feelings of superiority to be played out in self-righteousness. Religion justifies their assault on the self-esteem of weaker victims. I was actually invited to church. <laughs> the one that I would end up getting, the one that I would end up serving at and getting delivered from this abuse at, which is wild. Religion, again, justifies their assault on the self-esteem of the weaker victim. Narcissists are religious, but they are not spiritual. They use religion, but they have no relationship with God. So they know the scripture, just like Lucifer. They can have the best conversation about God like the rest of them, but do not know God. They do not have a relationship with God. When we read the Gospels, we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These men were the religious leaders of Israel and Jews. Most of them were narcissists. They only had a form of godliness. Their relationship with God ended with their traditions and rituals. In many cases, there were no deep, authentic spiritual encounters. Religions of every name have always attracted spiritual narcissists. It's just where they're drawn. A spiritual narcissist uses the pretense of religious piety to manipulate others. Throughout history, you'll find narcissists at the helm of every religion at some point in time. People have witnessed too many who have had a form of godliness without any real conviction. 
these amounts of narcissistic opportunists who use the platform of the church to preach self-worship and to establish cults rather than holy spaces is truly wicked, okay? The impact of this abuse is awful. I definitely was somebody that was blindsided by this, and I will definitely go into more about that probably in a different episode. There's a lot to unpack on this topic. I genuinely want to serve people that don't have maybe understanding of this or have minimal understanding of this. But just for today's episode, I wanted to highlight that narcissism, particularly from a biblical standpoint, is not new. And it is so imperative to be wise and discerning, right? What is the spirit operating behind a thing, behind a person? Who sent that person? So often, right, we give people the benefit of the doubt, right? We overlook faults. We ignore things that we're actually experiencing in our spirit, right? Or there's good reason that we are vulnerable or susceptible to encountering narcissists as well based on past upbringing, grooming, experience, trauma, whatever whatever the case might be, but past patterning, right? There's inner child wounds and things that make us really a magnet <laughs> for narcissists. So it's really important to wake up in a different way, to, to be wise, to be discerning as you are navigating relationships of any kind so that you can do the work that you're here to do in the world, so that you can take care of yourself, so that you are not caught up in unnecessary pain and suffering. So for the sake of the episode today, I just wanted to share a little bit more about the biblical perspective of narcissism. And I want to encourage you that God will give you wisdom. He will give you understanding. He will guide and establish your steps. He will protect you. He will have mercy on you. This is not something that you or someone you know can navigate in their own strength. Definitely not in their own understanding. That's one of the reasons, that's one of the areas that the narcissist will attack the most psychological, emotional. You're not operating in wisdom. You're not operating in truth at all. Right When you are under the influence of manipulation, you are not operating as who God form-shaped and anointed you to be, and it can be devastating to your soul. So I just wanted to offer this. I hope this message blessed you. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we talk about quite a bit over here, particularly around how you can transform self-sabotage into self-mastery so you can really live your most courageous and impactful story and be an example of what's possible with God. We truly need more examples of what's possible with God. We need people that are releasing generational blessings, not cursing, right? We need to really grow up and mature spiritually so we can really be powerful and, and fulfill the destiny that is on each of our lives personally. So I hope this message blessed you. Make sure that you subscribe. We're going to unpack this a little bit more. I'm not going to do a series on this, but there will be future episodes on this topic specifically by request. And if you are not encouraged, Co., make sure to get plugged in. All right, everybody. Until next time, stay blessed. Listen, if you are not plugged into Courage Co. yet, what are you doing? Courage Co. is a faith-based community off social media that you can access from your phone or your desktop literally from anywhere. It is a safe place and a sacred space for you to invest in and live your most courageous and impactful story. You can join us for free for prayer calls and challenges, for a monthly subscription where we have monthly masterclasses, or the God's Vibes Mastermind where you will get live master life coaching at a price that you won't get anywhere else, 12 weeks of content that we will go through together or you can navigate at your own pace. You'll have lifetime access to that. A community of women doing this alongside of you, a workbook and so many other materials to help you on your journey. And I just want you to imagine for a second, having the courage, clarity, and focus to achieve anything you desire. Walking into any situation fully confident, knowing you have everything you need to succeed. 
embracing challenges and overcoming obstacles with grace and ease. Feeling only love and compassion for others, no matter how they may have hurt you in the past. Standing up for what you believe in and taking unstoppable action to create the kind of world you want to live in. You're in the right place to take your next step on your journey. When you plug into the God's Vibes Mastermind, I'll teach you how to identify and eliminate the self-limiting beliefs and habits that are stopping you from getting the results you want. I'll teach you how to heal old wounds that have negatively impacted your self-image and self-esteem for far too long. I'll show you how to dismantle the story of who you are and what you can or cannot do in the world. I'll help you expand your consciousness from fear-based limitation to love and compassion and service to the world. I'll help you vanquish the inner enemies that are stopping you from being all that you can be. Release your victimhood and reclaim your power. Develop a aligned mindset and habits to boost your productivity and results. Gain deeper awareness of your own inner light and divinity and achieve the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual self-mastery needed to achieve any goal. You will learn how to think the way God formed, shaped, and anointed you to think and succeed the way he always intended and show up in any situation as the most powerful person in the room, no matter what challenges might appear on your path. If this sounds like something that you want to be a part of, I want to invite you to join the God's Vibes Mastermind. You can get plugged into it over at Courage Co. You can access Courage Co. at any level at www.courageco.org. Together, we will awaken your inner warrior spirit and unleash your capacity to achieve any goal you can imagine. You will become an example of what's possible with God.